You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at weddingtonchurch.org. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. The New Testament book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. Galatians 5, beginning of verse 13, where Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word, for the privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. I pray that this will be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. As Pastor Ed mentioned, this is the beginning of the great week of service. One of the things I love about our church is the amount of mission emphasis that we have here and the involvement in loving God and loving others. Just last Sunday, we were privileged to have here Simon Mwara with us from Kenya. He and Pastor Julius, who's one of the pastors of our ministry there with God's Grace for All Nations, as well as his daughter Faith, Simon's daughter Faith, who's an attorney in Nairobi. It was just such a privilege to have them here and to be a part of what's going on there and to know that there is a children's home right now in Nyahururu, Kenya, where there were children on the street, some were orphaned, some were abandoned, some were neglected, who now have a place to stay. They have uh, people who love them, food, clothing, shelter, school, all the things to help them succeed in life because you were involved in ministry and in mission. I love our ministries in Romania, our ministry with the church in Bulgaria, the ministries that we have in Costa Rica with Bishop Palomo and and, and the pastors that are there with the Evangelical Methodist Church of Costa Rica. It's just such a privilege. And then we have domestic missions. Some of you, some of this congregation are trained in in disaster response training. And that means that you've got a little badge that FEMA recognizes so that when there's a crisis like a hurricane, a tornado, flooding, other things, we're able to go in and we're able then to immediately make a difference in the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ to people that are hurting. And not only that... We're involved in all kinds of domestic missions. Our youth group uh, was just out of state as well, involved in, in missions and helping build and take care of the lives of others. But I love our local missions as well. One of the things that I've always felt was so important is that a church, especially a, a large church in an affluent area, and the last churches that I've had the, pa- the privilege of being the pastor of, uh, these churches have all been, been blessed in so many ways. One of the things that I always thought was important is not only should we be involved in, in funding local missions, but hands-on local missions. 
I love the fact that we are able to fund and make the difference. You all change lives. Every time we take up this offering and we give thanks to our God, you're making a difference. And I actually stand before you today because there was, there was somebody who had the financial abilities to go. If, if people are willing to go to, and to seminary and a life of ministry, I'm willing to help pay for their education. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the fact that, that we provide significant funds to the crisis assistance centers and, and to the Union County Shelter and the Common Heart and Turning Point and, and I could keep going on with, with names. But it's also important that we get to spend time together. That we get to meet people around us and be able to be reminded that God loves them as much as he loves us and that he loves their kids as much as he loves my kids and that he died on a cross just as much for them as he did for us. It's so important to realize that we're family and, and what a joy to be a part of these various ministries and missions. And I love our ministry with the homework help uh, near our Monroe campus where we're partnering with one of the schools that's there and, and we help these kids with their homework. And one of the reasons for that is one of the ways you break the cycle of poverty is by helping them succeed educationally. And, and it's such a privilege to be a part of these families and to be a part of their lives. And then I just think the sandwich ministry that we have at this church is incredible. Some of you are involved with it. Some of us in just a little while will probably be watching a little NASCAR. Here's the thing I want to share with you. I don't think their pit crews can hold a candle to our sandwich crew. <laughs> It is just absolutely amazing that you can make 12, 1,300 sandwiches in under 30 minutes. But the thing that I really love about it is that children are able to put on a glove and put a piece of cheese on a sandwich. And to be taught at an early age how we're called to love others and make a difference for others. And, and just to be reminded that sometime today, tomorrow, uh, or very soon, someone else is going to open that sandwich and thank God they have something to eat today. And this child helped make that possible. It's, it was interesting, last Sunday night, I had the privilege of taking Pastor Simon, Pastor Julius, and Faith uh, to meet with our youth group. And so we were there and mingling and hanging out with the youth for a while. And uh, they then had some time that they shared and some question and answer. And, and one of the questions that was asked was like, well, what's, what's one of the things that just really stood out to you in, in your visit to the United States and your visit here at Weddington? And, and it never fails. The re, one of the responses was food. You guys have food. You have plenty of food. I shared with you that a couple years ago when we had another pastor from our ministry in Kenya come and I asked him the same question, he said it was pantries. He was just absolutely amazed. He goes, pantries. Every family that I went to see had a pantry. You already know today that you get to eat tomorrow. Wow. And so they were sharing with the kids. You just sometimes don't know how blessed we are that, that we have food I mean, it's, it's reminded me and, and sometimes I feel really guilty I know you've probably done this too but have you ever gone you know you open the refrigerator 
and you shut it, you open the freezer, you shut it, and you go to the pantry, and you look around, and you shut it, and you go, nothing really sounds good to me. What a first world issue, you know? I mean, you know how many people would love to go open your refrigerator, open your refrigerator, open your pantry and go, wow, wow. We are so blessed. They were sharing with the kids about how blessed we are and sharing about water and the need for water. And uh, Pastor Julius was telling us up in the Samburu how salty the water is and, and how you can't really drink that. And, 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 and he might be limited to 20 liters of fresh water. And that's all that they, they really might have access to at a time. And, and we turn that up with bottles at a time. And we were, we were standing outside of a family's home that had a pool. And he turned around and he goes, I would love to take that water to Kenya. Wow. They were sharing how blessed we are. But food insecurity and things like that, that's not only in Kenya. We make the sandwiches here because there are people right around us who do not know what they will be eating tomorrow. What, what difference do we make? Now, one of the things I, I constantly share that's my vision for our church, actually for all churches, but for our church in particular, is that we be a discipleship academy. And when I say a discipleship academy, my point is, you know, we are, this church, this sanctuary, from what I understand, is the highest elevation in Union County. So the good thing is, everyone looks up to us. But we don't want to just be a pretty church on a hill. And we do not want to just have some Jesus pep rallies. We have amazing music, amazing worship. Our preacher is phenomenal. <laughs> but we want to be, a, I'm kidding. We want to be a discipleship academy. And what I mean by that is, is a disciple is an apprentice. And we're called to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. To, to learn to do what Jesus did. So did he worship? Yes. And with passion. And, and do we study the scripture? Yes. And we grab deep into the scripture with Bible studies. That's all part of being a disciple. But being a disciple is also doing something in the name of Jesus. Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, he, he says, he's talking about the freedom in Christ. He said, we're free in Christ. And, and he says, brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. This is something that God has made you for. But he said, but do not use your freedom to indulge yourselves. But rather, serve one another humbly in love. So one of the lines in our mission statement is humbly serving in love. And here's where you get that. Serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. We talk about the great week of service, but actually it's a great call of service. And, and this week is just something we do that's kind of a blitz for ministries we have going on at all times in the life of our church. It's an opportunity for us to get exposed to, to what God is doing and the ways that we can serve in our community, the way that we can serve in our country, the way that we can serve in our world. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther King Jr., who, you know, given our relationship with Jesus Christ, then said that life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others what are you doing 
for others. We are called to be the church. And if we're a discipleship academy, learning after and being an apprentice of Jesus, how did he handle things? And one of my favorite scriptures is in Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew 14, as you read that scripture, you'll see that John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And that just absolutely ripped Jesus to the core. And I want you to remember why. Remember before Jesus was born and Mary was expecting Jesus and uh, you have Elizabeth with John the Baptist. And remember how Mary goes to visit her because they're family? John the Baptist was Jesus' family. He had just heard that someone in his family had died. But not only had someone in his family died, someone in his family had been killed in an unmerciful way. He had been beheaded. And so Jesus is now distraught and grieving because of the loss of a member of his family. But not only that, Jesus also knows they went after him. They're soon coming after me. And so Jesus needed some time alone. And when you read the scripture, it says, so he departed to go to a quiet, deserted place by himself. He just needed some time away. And, and so when Jesus gets in a boat and he goes across the water, the crowds see what he's doing. And by the time he gets to the other side of the shore, there's already a crowd of people that are there. And you would expect Jesus to go, seriously, can I not even have 10 minutes to myself? But he doesn't. Look at John, uh, Matthew 14, beginning of verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them. And he cured their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages to buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. Now, I love this scripture because Jesus sees the crowd and he's filled with compassion and he does something. The challenging thing for us as the church is not simply to look out and we see all that's going on in the world and we may be moved with compassion to the point we go, it's just terrible what's happening in the world today and we want to stop there, but Jesus does something and the church can't stop there. We have to do something about it. And Jesus begins ministering to them and he cures their sick. And, and then I love when it starts getting late, the disciples come up to Jesus and they're probably going to be mad at me when I get to heaven. And they're going to go, we need to talk about how you portrayed us. But I just kind of think it's funny because the disciples come up to Jesus and they're going, Jesus, it is so late. And you know these people are tired you know they're hungry. This is a deserted area. I think, I think in their best interest, it would be good that we just go ahead and send them away so they can go to the villages and find themselves some food. Which is another way of going, Jesus, it's late. I'm tired. I'm hungry. And I think we should send these people away so we can get something to eat. Right? And so Jesus then looks at them and said, they don't need to go anywhere you give them something to eat. 
Now, I want you to remember this. Sometimes we call this the feeding of the 5,000. It's not really accurate. When you look at some other stories and other tellings of it, you'll see that it was 5,000 men not counting the women and the children. So all of a sudden you're going, so that's 5,000, 10,000, 15, 18, maybe 20,000 people. I mean, I just want you to picture that in your mind. It's not a mere 5,000. It's like 15 to 20,000 people out there. And Jesus said, you feed them. And they're thinking, you're, you're crazy. He really is distraught. Bless his heart. He's having a breakdown right here. Because sometimes I think that's what we do. We look out and we see how immense the need is. And that becomes our excuse to do nothing. We see how great the need is. And it becomes our excuse to do nothing. And Jesus said, you feed them. And once again, it's out of their scarcity that they go, well, we have nothing but. Did you catch that? We have nothing but. How many times do we look at God and say, we have nothing but. We have nothing but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus doesn't go, that is a problem. Jesus said, well, bring them to me. See, sometimes we look at our scarcity God looks at his incredible power. And, and the thing that it may seem is that we have such a little amount, but in the hands of God, it's enough. Because in the hands of God, that allows God to take it, bless it, break it, and give it. In the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear something. Jesus is not asking us to perform the miracle. Jesus is simply asking that we offer ourselves and what we have so that he can then do the miracle. Do you catch that? Jesus isn't asking for you to do a miracle. He's simply asking that we give ourselves and what we have to him so that he can do the miracle. I, I love the way that James puts it as well in James chapter 2 at verse 15. James has been talking about faith. If it doesn't have any works, it's dead. And you kind of hear a little bit of sarcasm in James when he says, Now suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Keep warm. Be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In other words, when we look at Jesus, he saw, was moved, and he did something. He was moved with compassion. What good is it if you simply, I wish they were fed and did nothing? Mother Teresa puts it this way. She said, give your hands to serve and your hearts to love. 
And we're called to give who we are to our God that he can use us. And we have different talents and, and different abilities. We're not all called to serve in, in the same way. As I mentioned before, some people are blessed with financial abilities. And, and I thank God for a man by the name of Frank Sherman and the Sherman Scholarship that I had when I was at Emory University. And, and, and I give thanks to God. There's some people who go, I can't actually be here to... Um, to, to make the sandwiches. We have a family that lives out of state and they go, we can't be here to make the sandwiches, but we can provide the food for somebody else to make the sandwiches. You know, sometimes we may not be able to be the ones who can, can cut the lumber and, and, and build the habitat houses or help repair or build handicap ramps and, and do other things, but, but you can provide the materials so that someone who has the skills of carpentry can build it. You see, Paul calls that the body of Christ in, in 1 Corinthians 12, that we all have talents and abilities and blessings and gifts and things that God has given to us and, and, and your ability to serve and how God has blessed you may be different than how it did me, but, but it's when we use them together that it's amazing. Desmond Tutu put it this way. He said, do your little bit of good where you are and if those little bits of good put together... That'll overwhelm the world. Do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelms the world. We look sometimes at the immensity of the need and go, what can I do? But if each of us did something, imagine what would happen. I grew up hearing about and being amazed by uh, a girl and then a lady by the name of Helen Keller. Many of you uh, read and heard about her as well. And at 19 months of age, she has this incredible illness and probably scarlet fever is what they're guessing. And, and it left her blind and deaf. But rather than being helpless, her, her amazing story is how she grew up to be this incredible person making such a difference in so many lives. And, and Helen Keller is accredited with saying, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. There's something I can do. Now, the good news is this. To be an apprentice means we learn from somebody else. And as apprentice of Jesus Christ, he never asks us to do anything he's not willing to do. So we're preparing now to come to this table. And when we do, you might be reminded that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he got up from the table, according to John 13, and did the craziest thing. He took off his outer garment, put on a towel, knelt down and washed his disciples' feet, and then began to share with them, I am your master and yet I'm serving you. This is what it's about is serving one another. Go and do as you've been taught. Now a little bit later, we're going to watch him take off that outer robe again. And this time he'll take the stripes that were meant for us. And he will look out at you and me and he will be filled with compassion. And he will act. For he will crawl up on a cross 
and give his life for us. When we come to this table and we receive this amazing gift, you need to know it's because your God looked out at you and me and was so moved by his love for us, so moved by compassion that he didn't just shake his head and go, that's terrible. But he does something, something incredible so that we can live. We are called to serve in the name of and on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's a line I use a lot, and I love at our 930 service, Joanna McCall sits right there on the front row, and when I say that, I always look over because she's going to finish it. As soon as I go, in the name of, you're going to hear, and in behalf of, and on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that's what we do. And at staff meeting this last Tuesday, we were talking about the great week of service coming up and all that's going on. And, you know, we'll use this room, that room, go here, go there, do this, do that. And it's a kind of a complex week. And, and I said, but it's all done in the name of and on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we're not just a civic organization and a bunch of good people. If it's not done in the name of Jesus Christ, and Aaron Smith, who's our local missions pastor or layperson in our congregation, spoke up and said, then it's just a service project. We're not doing a bunch of service projects. We're going to be the church. Not only this week, but every week. Because we serve in the name of and on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near, therefore be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies. And hear this. So that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.